Howdy! My name is Karok Ray. I'm the director of the Mays Innovation Research Center. Welcome to our show, Innovation Matters. I'm here today with Doug French, who is the CEO of Stylecraft uh, uh, Homes. And uh, today, let me uh, give a little bit of background about what uh, the show is. This is, uh, to remind you, we are the Mays Innovation Research Center, which is an academic center at Texas A&M. We fund, uh, fund a lot of research uh, around innovation. Our mission is to understand innovation, how it works, and why it happens. Uh, we host conferences, uh, have this show. Uh, we host many events on campus, uh, bring speakers to campus, as well as fund a lot of research. So we are here to understand innovation. And uh, I would like to have a conversation with Doug today about innovation in the home building industry. So, Doug, welcome. Yeah, yeah, no, Croc, thank you so much for having me. So good to be with everybody here today. And, um, you know, it's funny, and, and when you first asked him, like, innovation in home building, like, is there anything that are two opposite ends of the <laughs> spectrum? But I promise we'll definitely talk about some fun things to hear uh, here today. But uh, home building and innovation, uh, we've definitely been laggards in that. Yeah. But uh, not to say that uh, personally, and there's not some systems and some stuff we can talk about that we have been innovative in. Great, awesome. Looking forward to learning about that. So let me first start, Doug, by asking you a little bit about, uh, just uh, bring us up to speed where you grew up, uh, your childhood, and how you arrived at Texas A&M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a Bryanite, born and raised in uh, Bryan College Station. Uh, my, my family's from here. We have deep roots. My um, grandmother on my dad's side owned French's schools here locally. So I, I still run into people around town all the time. So yeah, your grandmother changed my diaper or your dad did or something. So I always get a good, a good kick out of that. And that's a lot of fun. But it was called French's schools. In the early eighties, we sold out to, uh, to Kinder Care. And my father took that money and uh, started a home building company. And um, at the time he kind of did more of, uh, you know, kind of more custom home building. And I've, I've lived here my whole entire life. Um, I still have some entrepreneurial um, stuff on my mom's side as well. Um, my great-great-grandfather owned a men's clothing store in downtown Bryan back really in, in the Depression era. So the Depression um, actually is, is when, he, when, he, when he lost the company. But uh, he had a men's clothing store back then. And then my mom's dad owned an oil and gas distributing H&M wholesale and then owned a lot of Texacos here in town as well, you know, back in, I guess, the early 80s, right. uh, 90s. Uh, right. he, he's no longer with us anymore, but definitely have um, entrepreneurship and just running businesses in my blood. So I was born with it. Right. And, you know, talk about being a kid. I mean, I, I was the kid getting my mom my mom to take me to Sam's Club. Yeah. I'd go buy, you know, the, the bulk candy and then go sell it for a quarter, you know, at, at, at school. And yeah. so yeah. I just have it in my blood and it's just always kind of been there. But Brian College Station is certainly home. Um, proud father of two kids. Hadley is six years old. She goes to Brazos Christian here locally. And then my son's four. And then I've been married for just shy of 15 years, my, my wife, Kara. And um, one of the reasons we get along so well is because I'm very quick to apologize and she's very quick to forgive me. And if you want a <laughs> recipe for success in your marriage, that is it. And again, um, I'm so lucky to have such a forgiving and awesome wife in Kara. Awesome. F fabulous. So your mom actually was the first entrepreneur in your family? Your, your mom's, your, her, her, is that right? Her, the, the daycare was uh, came before the, your dad's home building? Yes. Business? So that was my grandmother. Yeah. Oh, your grandmother. Yes, okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And she just, she was an interesting personality. And how I would describe her croc is she could turn nothing into something, yeah, which is a yeah. really good definition of entrepreneurship. And 
So she would do things like her husband's name was Darwood, and that's that's my middle name. See, yeah. Darwood, you know, they'd be driving down the down the uh, the street. See, Darwood, pull over, pull over, and she would see an old tattered couch on the side side of the road. Yeah. And she'd get that couch, she'd load it up in the back of the truck, she'd go home and she'd fix it herself, and then she'd go sell it. I mean, that's the kind of woman she was. Yeah. And so she just was able, and so they started that business out of their living room. Uh -huh. So you would drop your kids off there, uh -huh. you put a quarter in Mrs. French's box, uh -huh. and then you could go on a date night with your wife or whatever you wanted to do. And they they uh, grew that business to five or six commercial daycares. Wow. And like I said, sold for a couple million dollars in the wow. early 80s, which which back wow. then that was a lot oh, of money. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, just really did a, did a good job. I and mean, my father was involved in that as he was going through school. And yeah. I think that's probably how, his, how he cut his teeth in management and business and, Great. and all that good stuff. So definitely a cool story and some, some good history here in Bryan College Station. Great, great. Now, now let's turn to your time at A&M. What was that like? Uh, you majored in psychology. Yeah. Uh, tell me what was your experience at A&M? What was uh, the most impactful during your time here about the education, the students? For sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, and so to back up a little bit, um, I had an interesting high school career. And so I never had studied a day in my life before I got to college. And that wasn't because I didn't need to, just because I, I just didn't, I didn't have the, I, I, was, I was going through some personal issues. I, we'll probably hit on those later, but uh -huh. I, I had some really big struggles and I uh, had a life-changing event happen to me when I was a senior in high school, turned my life around. And so I went to Blinn College for three uh -huh. and a half years first. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And again, I went to Blinn and I never studied a day in my life. And thank God for Blinn because it really helped me uh, get my feet underneath me and learn how to study and how to be a student. Yeah. And then I came to A&M and... Um, I was a uh, undergraduate in psychology yep. and I minored in business. And the thing that was interesting, by the time I realized how much I loved business, I was so far into it that I really couldn't switch paths. Right. And so right. Um, I continued with my psychology degree. And probably some of the things that that I enjoyed the most, number one, just again, learning a work ethic. Yeah. Like, and that's one thing I did. I never I don't consider myself the smartest person, but I'm gonna outwork you. And I'm yeah. gonna get in there, I'm gonna study, and I'm gonna hit it hard. I'm gonna go and hang out at Evans Library for yeah. hours and hours and hours and and um, and get up early and, and study and really put in the work. And yeah. I think that's one thing that AM taught me for sure. I had some really good professors. I really enjoyed psychology. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, I think just knowing how to deal with people yeah. and kind of what makes them tick was very, very important. And then also going over to Mays and taking all the, the business classes as a minor, yeah. it helped me realize like I really love business. And this wasn't something that I struggled, even like business law. Like I loved it. I loved right. business law. I loved right. accounting. I love finance. I love and it wasn't necessarily one discipline that I liked. Right. It right, was right. Um, that I just liked all of it. And so yeah, it just yeah. again, it's kind of in my blood. It's something just naturally came to me. Okay. Okay, great, great. And uh now now Let's. Uh, you graduated from A and M. Yeah. Uh, and and what did you go straight into the family business at that point, or did you? I, I did not. I was working at a small nonprofit, uh, SOS Ministries here local, through uh -huh. college, uh -huh. and so I took a full time job with them for about nine months. Uh -huh. Then uh, me and my wife got married, uh -huh. and um, we we moved to Waco. So I went to graduate school at Baylor, got my MBA there. Right. Focused primarily on finance. Right. And then yeah, once I graduated from Baylor, I came back to kind of help my dad uh, okay. run the business. Okay. And your dad was the founder of yes. Stylecraft, is yes. that right? Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And when you started, tell us about the business. How big was it? Where where was it? Yeah, we had between, I think, 30 and 40 employees. Yeah. Um, we're about, a, I think we were $30, $40 million company at the time. Uh -huh. Built about 200 houses a year. Okay, yeah. okay. And you've been there ever since. Yes. And where are you now? 
we, we closed um, about uh, j- just over a thousand houses this year. Wow. So five times. Wow. Um, because of appreciation, our, our revenue, we're about almost just shy of 300 million in sales this last year, which which was a milestone for us. Great. We've never been that much. We really grew last year, year over year, which was exciting. Great, great. Um, 170 team members. Yeah. And then we have some other business ventures that I'm involved in. I own a rental property company. We own and operate and manage about 150 rental properties, uh-huh. primarily he- here in Bryan College Station uh-huh. and then in Temple, Texas. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I own um, another, it's, it's actually a license agreement, but it's called Red Door Homes. Yeah. Where we do stuff like, let's say that grandma deeded you 10 acres and you yeah. wanted to go build a house in that 10 acres. Yeah. We would go out there and actually build a house. It's called On Your Lot, Build On Your Lot. Right, right. And so it's a Build On Your Lot um, franchise called Red Door Homes. And oh, so okay, uh, okay. We, we do that as well. Yeah. Oh, great. So it's great. fun. Yeah. Wow. Definitely, definitely keeps me busy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a, you got a lot, lot, lot going on. So, yeah. I want to ask, you know, one thing I want to do is, is to help students make decisions. Um, yeah. and, and, we, and we just we can backtrack. After Baylor, after your MBA, mm-hmm. um, were you, what were you, um, w- did you know you wanted for sure to go back into the family business or were you thinking about other alternatives? How did you make that decision? Yeah, I mean, the job market was not great. I think I graduated in 2009, so the right. job market was right. pretty rocky at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to go into the family business. But it, when I looked back at it and I started evaluating it, it was because I didn't want to be known as my dad's name is Randy, Randy's son, you know, the, right. re- the rest of my life. Right, and right. I started thinking, I'm like, that just isn't a very good reason to make a decision. Like that sounds like pride and ego and yeah. like I need to get over that. Yeah, yeah. And so I was able to kind of get over that. And me and my dad had a conversation. I said, hey, you know, what if you think, what if you think if I came back and kind of helped you out and he just was over the moon. He was ecstatic oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And I think he realized he needed the help. And um, yeah, so it, it, it's been a great, it, it was it was a really, really great deal. That's it worked great. out really, really well. But it never was like, my dad didn't put any pressure on me. Yeah. Which, you know, I really commend him for that because I think a lot of a lot of kids feel that from, uh-huh. from their parents. Like, hey, you gotta come back and take over the business. And he never did that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I didn't really have any other outside influence. I knew that I wanted to run my own company. I knew that I wanted to build something and do something. And I just thought like, it's difficult to go start something from scratch. It's right. easy, like, so why not go and start something that's already capitalized, yeah. that already has a good following, a successful model and go grow that. Yeah, yeah. And so when I thought of it that way, I was like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And um, yeah, that's kind of why I made the decision and, and have not looked back. Great. So it's great. been good. Great, great, great. Did that, did that answer yeah, the question? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. It does, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm guessing this might be a unique, uh, a small set of students who are in similar circumstances. Yeah. But I'm curious, how was the was the re- how was the reception from the company? I'm guessing that you've been part of the company for a while. Yeah. Um, and then uh, was there was there uh, was there a good reception? It seems like it was a good reception. And how did yeah. you handle that? You know, and I really came back. Um, and this this is just kind of more my personality. Yeah. And I was going to come back, and I was going to be humble. I wasn't going to say like. Uh, it was more about me getting in there and figuring out what I could do to add value. Yeah. And it wasn't about me going in there and trying to stake my claim or have some chip on my shoulder right. or try to prove to everybody, here I am, I have an MBA, it's shiny, it's on the shelf, you know, yeah. I have it hanging on the wall, let me show you how to do things. Like that was not, not my attitude. My attitude was, hey, how can I come beside you uh-huh. uh, and help and help assist and let's, let's both get the company better. Um, and so I really came in just more with kind of a humble spirit about like, hey, how can I get in here and how can I help? And one small story that I tell as well, and we're no longer the case anymore, I don't think we could, I think we wouldn't be able to hire many team members, but at the time, 
when you came to Stalkraft, you didn't get any PTO your first year here. Uh-huh. No vacation. I guess uh-huh. if you got sick, you maybe you got some sick. And yeah. right now we have a PTO policy, sick and vacations all bundled. Well, at the time we didn't, we had sick, but we didn't have, we had, the, so the very first year you didn't get any vacation. Well, I worked the whole entire first year, yeah. which I mean, that's not a big thing. Everybody else did too, but that was just, if I asked my dad if I could take a vacation, he said, yeah, sure, son. Yeah, go for it. That'd right. be great. Right. He'd, he'd have been all for it, but I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like if, if I'm asking somebody else to come here in uh-huh. here and play by these rules, I better be willing to do the exact same thing. And right. so I just, I, and this is another way to describe it. Like I didn't go into it thinking, okay, my dad's the boss. And so this is just big, huge asset. I went into it thinking, my dad's the boss. That means I have to work twice as hard as uh-huh. everybody else to earn any amount of respect here. And right. I should. Right. And I should. And that's not a negative. That was a positive. Yeah. And so um, I went in there and I just, I knew I had to get to work. And I had to show people, improve myself. And it wasn't anything that was going to be given. Okay. And I think people see that. You know, they see that. And when they see that, they respect you. And then and I'm just not this, you know, type A, let's go charge the mountain and, you know, kind of personality. I'm a little yeah. bit more quiet and humble and, yeah. and kind of come from more of a, of, I guess, a servant kind of leadership uh-huh. perspective anyways, just naturally. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I think that served me very well. Okay. Okay. Now at here, you know, at the Mays Business School, we spent a lot of time, probably the majority of our time studying public companies yeah, and then probably a minority on private companies. But we actually don't do anything, I think, formally on family business. Okay. So, so given that you're sort of our first guest in the, in the space of fa- the family business, yeah, yeah. what what do you think? What unique opportunities, challenges do you feel there are with uh, in the family business world? Maybe that's different from what we know about p- private and public companies. Yeah, yeah. I think you know the the cool thing about family business and really any kind of local business, because you know honestly we don't have a ton of family. That, I mean, I, I own it. Um, and my father owned it before I did, and I bought it from him. Yeah. But we, we used to have a lot of family that, that worked at the business. That's really not the case anymore. But, you know, the, the a couple things. I think a lot of times the problems you have with family business, and this is no, this is not saying this was the case at Stockcraft, but from what I hear, is you have people in the business, and honestly, this is every business, that are there that shouldn't be there anymore. Right, and you don't right. address the issue because you don't right. want to make Thanksgiving or Christmas or right. the kid's birthday party awkward, right? Right, right? And again, I think that's not just something unique to family business. That's yeah. business in general. But, yeah. you know, when you go in and you have people that, that aren't performing yeah, yeah. and you allow that to fester and uh-huh. you allow that to happen, it's a culture killer. Right. It's a culture killer. Right. So if you're trying to build a great business, but you're letting your brother or your brother-in-law or whoever get away with something that they shouldn't be getting away with, yeah. everybody sees that. Yeah. And so yeah, you're saying yeah. one thing, but then you're doing something else, yeah. and that's, a, 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 that's not aligned. Right. Uh, the thing that's really a positive about, I feel like, a family business is, you know, you go in and, like, for us, the markets we're in, we're market experts there. We understand them very, very well. Mm-hmm. And so we compete against a lot of publicly traded builders. Yeah. And they have their own culture, and they're great at what they do. They're uh-huh. some of the biggest and the best builders in the country. Uh-huh. And I love going against them because that makes me better. If I'm going against the best, I'm going to become the best. But yeah. we're able to get in there, and I feel like we're able to be more relational. Uh-huh. We're able to be a little more grassroots. We're very involved in the places that we build. We're very plugged in uh-huh. to Bryan College Station. So where some people may not get the opportunity or the first phone call, we feel like that we will. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's just being able to go in there and carve out your niche and kind of figure out what you're really, really good at and then going and doing that. And then, you know, publicly traded companies, and we see it even in the home building, 
they they make decisions based on Wall Street. They right. make decisions based on, you know, uh, the next earnings call or the next, um, you know, 10K or wh whatever it is they had to file, right? And so they're making these decisions that aren't always what's best for the company long term. Maybe yeah. best for that quarter or that month or that earning or that annual report, but today they're not making the best decision. And so for a family business, what I love about it is I can look at the long. I can look at the longevity. I don't have to go bet the farm right now. Um, as long as I'm sitting here hitting doubles and triples and, ma and maybe a, a home run every once in a while, I'm good because I want to be doing it for 30, 40, 50 years from now. Yeah. Does, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it so, does. It does. Yeah. yeah. So there's, a, there's some challenges uh, with some of the interpersonal dynamics. I feel like that because it is more relational, yeah. um, we're probably more apt to make relational kind of emotional decisions, especially uh -huh. when it's around people. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And maybe in a corporate world, Probably not always the case, but maybe they're able to look at it, you know, more make more of a, a business decision. Right. Um, right. And you know, there's got to be a, a healthy balance there. Can you give us an example? I guess that would illuminate that. Is it um, so? Like you know, the the, the people issues are yeah. obviously um, the the biggest one. Like recruiting, hiring, firing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just so much of it is, and from what we've seen, it's not. It's, it's you have to deal with the people that aren't living your values. Yeah. And if you don't, and if you don't because they're family, uh -huh. that's even more destructive, I feel like. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really interesting topic. Actually, it's something, it's actually a broader, uh, you can think of this even, even broader. I mean, if I look back on how I grew up, you know, I'm an economist by training. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I grew up in, in the coasts of America where we, we sort of, our attitude was, was somewhat of a, uh, we treated people at an arm's length. Yeah. And it was almost like we were independent contractors uh, operating in the free market. And one thing I liked about A&M, it had, as a community, it had more of a family culture yeah. and values. And uh, one thing I've noticed at being here for six years is the, uh, there are a lot of benefits of that. I mean, for a lot sure. of, you know, you don't have to contract around everything. You can operate within a circle of trust uh, where, where people's values are, their word is their bond and, yep. and you trust them and there's yep. a level of integrity. That's something that's missing from other parts of our society For sure. uh, across the country, you know, sure. especially on the coast, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so. and, and I, I just, I would argue that it's easier to foster that yeah. in a small privately held or medium-sized privately held company than yeah, it is yeah. this big, huge company that's global or national or right. whatever, right? It's just, right. it's more difficult I would think yeah. uh, to execute and to, to kind of foster that kind of environment or that culture. And how do you maintain that family atmosphere as you grow? Is because you, yeah. you you guys have been growing, you'll continue to grow. Yeah, it's it's really really difficult. But yeah. I think the the key is leadership. Like you have to have really good leaders. And so you know we are um, in Central Texas, and I describe this. I think a lot of people consider Bryan College Station Central Texas, right. but for Stockcraft, this is Southern Texas, and then. Our region, that Central Texas is Waco, Temple, Colleen, kind of going up to Georgetown, kind of that I-35 right. kind of corridor. Right. Um, and, ha and half of our company is there. Yeah. And so how do we get the same culture that's here yeah. um, where people see me you know, regularly? How do we get that over there? And it's all about the leadership. You have to have leadership that buys into the culture, buys into your values, yeah. and is going to... Um, hire, fire, and promote based on those. Right. And when they do and they um, lay that down, then it is easier to kind of foster that. But it, it is difficult. And so, you know, we try to, 
we, and, and we have we've done more kind of more kind of fun events. We have we have a team and a culture coordinator now. That that's kind of what she does. Is uh -huh. her job is to help foster those type of relationships and make for make sure everybody feels included um, yeah. and have those events and do those type of things. It's more difficult now, especially with COVID. Yeah, uh, last eighteen months, yeah, um, it's kind yeah. of thrown a curveball at us. But we're still trying to do kind of fun things and right. kind of keep it lighthearted. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. great. But it is a challenge. Carl. Yeah. It's yeah. A challenge. I, I, I believe it. Does. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Let me now, let us now let's dive into home, home building. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so this is actually, uh, it's one of my favorite topics. Uh, I was, uh, I was, I actually worked in the, in the government for a year in the White House during the Bush administration, yeah. during the financial crisis. And I didn't expect to, but then I became oh, uh, the housing expert in, <laughs> on the team. And I learned a lot about housing that year, okay. and I've sort of kept up with it. Uh, fascinating industry. Yep. And now is a very fascinating time, just an unusual time yes. after the pandemic. Um, so let's start with, uh, I guess, t to bring us up to speed on your specific, uh, uh, your uh, Stylecraft-specific uh, business proposition and what you're aiming yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, our, our niche is truly kind of that first-time buyer or yeah. maybe, the you know, the first-time move-up. So we're trying to... Um, you know, kind of target our products to that first-time buyer. It used to be under 200, then it was under 215, yeah. then it was under 250, now it's under 270. It's kind of wow. almost the starting point, which wow. is which is crazy to, to say, but that's yeah. just kind of where we are with kind of a high-cost uh, environment. It's kind of gone up. But uh -huh. in general, um, you know, that's the customer that we really try to go after is that uh -huh. first-time home, home buyer who's moving out of an apartment, moving out of mom and dad, maybe they just graduated from Texas A&M, they're uh -huh. staying here local, they just got married, and they want to have, um, you know, an affordable place to stay. So right. that's really where we uh, really try to target our marketing towards right. and uh, kind of all of our efforts towards uh, building a product that's attainable for people. Okay. Which okay. has become more and more challenging. Okay, okay. Um, let me let me now ask you this last, uh, just I'm sure everyone is curious about this, what's happening in the market this last year and a half since yeah. pandemic? Um, so just this, you know, escalation in pricing and costs. Yeah. Uh, what what has that meant for your business? It's been it's been difficult to navigate, and quite honestly, it's been it's been a little scary. Uh -huh. um, and so what what most builders did, and, and we were guilty of this as well, is we sold way too many houses, quarter four of 2020, uh -huh. and we had to go deliver those in you know quarter one, quarter two, quarter three of 2021. Uh -huh. And uh, we real we looked up really quickly and realized like. At the pace we're selling houses, we cannot produce them quick. Uh -huh. we, we, we just, we cannot get, we cannot grow that quickly. And so last- Is for the supply chain? Is that, or the labor shortages? Or? It, it's all of the above. Yeah. And just our systems, like, you know, we sold, again, we were, I think, 750 houses in 2020. Then we closed 1,050 in 2021. So that's 30% increase. That's, that's hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to grow your company 30%, yeah. especially with all the challenges you were saying. Right. Um, if if we had not turned off the sales pipeline, you know the requirement would have even been more. But we we literally told our sales executives like, hey, this is a great time to take a vacation. Yeah, we're not going to sell anything for six eight weeks. Some some communities we didn't sell things for three to six months. Uh -huh, like uh -huh. we just we we had to we had to really get our hands around it and get the houses started that we had already sold. Yeah, and the big negative was I think we talked about this earlier, but. As um, you know, when we sign a contract, our revenue is locked in. Yeah. yeah. Well, historically, These are fixed price contracts, yeah, yeah, right? the fixed price yeah. contracts, yeah. And historically, we've always been able to project our costs really, really well. Yeah. And historically, 
when we start a job, we issue a purchase order to the plumber yeah. or to the lumber yard or to the trim carpenter or to the trim shop, they honor that purchase order. They tell us, hey, you know, yeah. this trim package is going to cost 1500 bucks. We issue the purchase order. We're not going to call for that to be delivered for 90 days from now, probably yeah. on the trim package. Yeah. But now all of a sudden their costs are going up. They're telling us, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to do that job for 1500 bucks huh. anymore. We need 2200 or we need 1800 or whatever it was. Well, that goes right. I mean, right. we're like guys. Like you can't. We issued a purchase order, yeah. and, and they they said, "Oh, well, force majeure. We we can't do it. This is a pandemic." Oh, and, really? Um, and the law's on their side, I guess. Yeah. Oh. Huh. And even if it wasn't, what were we gonna do? Yeah. I right, mean, go right. sue them, and I mean, it's it's a plumbing. You know, I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, there's some very very successful plumbers out there, but yeah. it's not. I mean, end of the day, we need them to do the job. Right. right. And it was kind of those sayings. Well, yeah. I mean. You don't have to pay me that, but you're going to go find another plumber. And right. we're like, well, we, we, we can't do that. And yeah, I'm picking yeah. on plumbers, and honestly, they're ones that probably didn't do it to us. So <laughs> it, was really a lot, it was really a lot of the suppliers that did. I see. That really, really had to go up. And yeah. um, it was difficult for everybody. I think everybody kind of navigated it as, as well as they could. But 2021, I think 2020 will be the year that like restaurants, maybe health professionals will always look back on. Yeah. 2021 will be the year that... The home building industry always looks back on it and say, "Oh my gosh, that was that was crazy." Because wow. and I've taught, you know, I've been in the industry ten to fifteen years. But I've yeah. taught to people that've been in it for 30, 45 uh -huh. years. Like, look, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, this yeah. is crazy. I mean, the amount of sales activity that was out there and people wanting to buy a house. Yeah, and the the cost inflations and how the inputs were just going sure. so crazy and what lumber did. Sure, I mean, it went sure. from they, they they price it by um, ten thousand board feet, and um, it was at four hundred dollars at the start of the pandemic. Then yeah. it, it ballooned to seventeen, yeah. Yeah. and I mean it's just like that's twenty thousand dollar swing on a right. right. two hundred twenty thousand dollar house. That's really really hard for a uh, home builder to swallow. But you know we were able to to work through it, and we still had we had a heck of a year. We had a profitable year. It was a good year, record breaking year, uh, but we learned a lot of hard lessons too. Right. 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 So it's interesting. What was, I guess, your opinion? What, let me ask you this question. Do you feel like the Federal Reserve in this time was slightly irresponsible or, or completely irresponsible? Uh, you know, a lot of that, and it's all hindsight's always 2020, yeah. but, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and a lot of it, it's just, it's so political and it's so much posturing. Yeah, you know, yeah. when they come out and say, oh, you know, inflation's transitionary. Yeah. And they didn't say that 18 months ago or 12 months ago. They said that like, 90 days ago right. or, or four months ago. Right. And I'm like, guys, like, if you think this is transitionary, like, yeah. you need to come on one of our job sites. You need to come look yeah, at yeah. what we're experiencing out here on the front lines day yeah. to day. Like, and again, I just think it's so much posturing. And like, yeah. they should have slowed it down a long time ago. They should have quit pumping all this money into right. the system. And right, they just right. didn't. And we've seen all, all the meme stock type stuff. Yeah. All these people have this money now that they're starting to spend. I mean, you can't you can't buy a Rolex watch. Right. It's crazy. You go to you go right. to David Gardner's here locally in College Station, and the Rolex Watches are, they're, they're all, got, it's, it's, so it's not yeah. just houses, it's Rolex watches. It's, I remember listening to somebody and they said that, um, what, what did their wife like? It was like um, some off-brand soda that they yeah. were like, you can't, you couldn't get that. It's just so right. the supply chains have been so stretched. Right, right. And um, it's just been so crazy. So it's not just home building. Yeah. And so it was everywhere. And yes, I do feel like, and again, I don't know what the government should have done. Yeah. It's yeah. hindsight's always 2020. Sure, but sure. You know, just to act like it wasn't a problem, just to kind of keep on pumping money. <laughs> right. Probably right. Uh, looking back was was yeah. not the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're all paying for that right now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I know affordability is a big big part of your mission it statement. Yep. Um, 
What's your view uh, where we are now? I mean, this massive price increase, do you think this is like 20, 20, 2007, 2008, or are we in this new normal uh, you know, with I, housing where this, this could be now the new price level yeah, of housing? Yeah, and I think it's going to be. I mean, the, the thing that has really helped us is interest rates have remained low, but talking yeah. about the Fed, I know they're going to start ticking those up, and they need, really need to. They need to slow yeah. things down. I mean, yeah. as a home builder, you wouldn't think I would say that, but at the end of the day, like, I know what's happening right now is not sustainable. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I'm not worried about this quarter or this year. I'm worried about the next 20, 30 years. Right. So I want us to make some decisions that are good for the next 20, 30 years. And I think slowing things down right now is what's going to be good for, for our economy long term. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's – you think that Texas, you think what we're experiencing is not affordable until you go to California, right, until you right, go to Florida, right. until you go to Boise, Idaho, yeah, until yeah. you go to any of these other markets, you're like, oh my gosh, like yeah. the amount of house that you still can get in Texas is, it blows those other places out of the water. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and so Texas is still an affordable economy. Yeah. Um, people are still moving here. If you look at all the, the pipeline of tech jobs that are coming, uh, especially the Austin area and all yeah. the surrounding areas. And we're going to, I mean, and College Station is going to experience some of that as well. Yeah, when yeah, those yeah. big companies move here, there's a lot of residual kind of waves that happen. And, uh, you know, Temple, Texas, and, and a lot of these other areas start to really kind of benefit from that. Yeah. And I think as, and then we've also seen wage growth. I think that's one of the things that's really yeah. helped out too. Now it hasn't necessarily kept up with house appreciation, but right. I mean, wages are going up. Right. And I know for us as a company, you know, we've been giving out raises, substantial raises yeah. for the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that everybody else is saying there hasn't been a lot of wage growth in America, but I, that hasn't been my experience. Um, and I see, and, I, and so and so people, really the people that can afford a home, I think have been experiencing that. And even now, uh, kind of more your hourly employees are starting to see some wage growth too, which, which will help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, without giving away kind of your secret sauce, what would you say are the main innovations, say in your in your business model or your or your or your uh, your relations with your your subcontractors, or uh, that would you say are are what you're, you're proud of in your in your company? Yeah, yeah. And I kind of got to it earlier. You know, innovation in home building right. is kind of an oxymoron. Uh -huh. Quite honestly, there have been some people that are looking at you know building houses and, and factories and right. building the components and then right. coming in we've always we, we do roof trusses and floor trusses and yeah. so we've always incorporated you know a piece of that i think the thing that we really try to do is we just try to be relational yeah you know we try to be relational we try to make sure that we we plan things out well and we mm -hmm. communicate well with people mm -hmm. and so right now the home building space um, if you're a framer it's not finding the work it's you know you kind of you kind of can pick whoever you want to work for yeah, yeah. and so if you're not a really well-run company. You're not paying on time, and you're, and you don't have the material on site. You don't have the slab poured, and they're not. Those guys aren't ready to go when they get there. Yeah. Then it's going to be really, really difficult to kind of attract and retain talent. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. The innovation, you know, that I feel like we've done as a company is more process yeah. related. You know, we yeah. have constantly, and that, that that's that's one of our one of our core values is we improve. We have three: we care, we serve, we improve. And so one of the things that we constantly do, and that's part of my DNA, we're constantly trying to improve. We're yeah. constantly getting better. And so like we have a very, um, you know, well thought out sales process. And so we've had that for a long time. And thank goodness that we had it because when everything went online, we already had it set up. We had a very strong online sales presence and we knew how to get a customer from, you know, clicking on our website from the first time to contract. We had all right. that. So we didn't have to figure that out. Right, right. And so, and again, that's not, 
something I would necessarily call super innovative. A yeah. lot of companies have done that, but a lot of companies haven't done that. Yeah. And yeah. those are the type of investments you know, that we've been able to make in systems and processes uh, that have driven kind of continual improvement. We've also looked at just different product types. Um, and so, you know, townhomes is, is a different type of product type. Uh -huh. We're doing some of the build for rent stuff right now too. Uh -huh. So one thing that, you know, I listen, I'm a big Tim Ferriss guy. I don't know if you've, you've read the <laughs> yeah, four hour work yeah, week. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. I listen to those podcasts a lot. Uh -huh. And a lot of those guys talk about kind of doing small experience experiments is what right. they call them. Right. And I really like that concept. And so we, we have, we've kind of started doing some, just some trying to see kind of what works. And so we did a, a 41 self con, 41 unit self-contained neighborhood in Tomball, Texas with uh -huh. a third party that hired us to build them. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Went and built, built that project. They've now, that's 100% leased up. They've uh, sold that to another real estate fund in Houston. And, and I think that it really did well. We were an equity investor in it as well. Yeah. We're building another one in Waco right now. I'm also building, you know, kind of communities of rental properties uh -huh. that are kind of self-contained in uh -huh. Temple, Texas and uh -huh. some other areas in Bryan College Station as well. Uh -huh. And so that's a little bit different of an innovative product yeah. um, that hasn't been around very, very long. There's always been, you know, single family homes that you can rent, but a whole community of them that are self-contained and oh, have amenities and that sort of thing okay. is a little bit different of, of a, a different innovative kind of product um, that we're starting to see. And we have, um, you know, I feel like we were, we were a little bit on the, we weren't, you know, um, bleeding edge on that, but we weren't the very last one to get into it okay. either. So okay. we're able to kind of get out in there and kind of um, capitalize on that, which is which has been fun. It's been fun. My our team um, has really enjoyed kind of getting out there and doing something different. Okay. Okay. So it's now, been good. now this increase in costs in this last year and a half is. Do you feel like that will promote a new kind of innovation in uh, in home building? Is there I mean substitution to different materials? For sure. Or, Different business models. What, what's, yeah. what's looking? Yeah. Uh, so I think I think it opens the door for that, especially when lumber went up so high. Now yeah. lumber has dropped and it's kind of yeah. teeter tottering right now. Um, so fingers crossed that it continues yeah. to kind of uh, go back down. But um, you know, you look and you see the the people that are doing like three D printed homes, right, right, and uh, or or wall panels that are made out of concrete. Like, yeah. And I think a lot of those type of of products do become more viable uh -huh. as costs go up. Yeah. One of the things that has led to, you know, home building not being super innovative and, there, and you know, product has changed significantly. Yeah. I mean, the house we build today is significantly different than the house that we built 12 years ago. As far as energy efficiency, the type of window, the type yeah. of house wrap we use, yeah. the sear rating of your HVAC system, it goes on and on. So, I mean, we're so much more energy efficient the R value in your attic, just the insulation we put in. Yeah. And that's not just us, that's industry standard. Yeah. Um, and so there's been a huge push towards that. And so products have gotten better and better and better. But you're right, as costs go up, um, it is going to allow for some of these more innovative strategies that have not historically worked right. to become more viable. Right. And I think what's really uh, kept a lot of these at bay is because number one, transportation costs is expensive. Yeah. And so in order to go build a factory yeah. that's gonna mass produce houses in some country, like I think it's Japan, yeah. majority of their homes are built in a factory yeah. and they're assembled on site. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mo like, modular, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're much more modular. Yeah. And uh, you know, and then you have people like Clayton Homes that are coming sure. in, and they're a mobile home company. Yeah. But they have the ability to build houses in their factories, and they have the infrastructure to do that, and they're buying, um, you know, home building companies left and right, and they have been for yeah. the last, you know, ten plus years. Yeah. And so. You know, I think that the, we'll see some more innovation into that space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what's kind of kept it at bay is number one, it's a huge capital 
expenditure. Yeah. In home building, it's kind of like the car industry. If you look at what it's done, I mean, it's up and down. It's so you have to build this capacity for demand that may not be there. Right. And right, so you got to go right. build a $10 million factory. Yeah. And you're going to, where are we going to build it? We're probably going to build it in Houston because there's not a vault. I mean, you, yeah. in Bryan College Station, it would be very difficult to build a factory right, right. and to build 200 houses a year. Like you can't support a $10 million factory sure, with sure. that type of volume. Um, and so you have to go to these high population centers. And then I guess if that's the method and the means that everybody adopts, then we'd have to truck in those parts from Houston. Well, then the transportation costs yeah. kill you. Yeah, yeah. And in Texas, labor has historically been uh, plentiful and it's been cheap. Uh -huh. Now, as you're alluding to, and then the parts haven't been very expensive. You right. know, lumber hasn't been very expensive. Right, right. Now, as those dynamics change yeah. and as labor becomes more and more difficult to obtain, and we're seeing it, we're seeing the younger generations they do not want to be electricians or plumbers or HVAC yeah. or yeah, yeah. or uh, hang tile or hang sheetrock. They, they, they don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so as the older generation kind of ages out and starts yeah. hanging that up, I think we have to be more and more innovative, especially of demand. And if we're trying to increase capacity, because I feel like supply is going to get tighter. So we're going to have to figure out ways to do more with less. Right. And, right, um, right. you know, as a company, that is some things that we have to look at as well. So we have to design our product in a matter that's not just um, you know aesthetically pleasing and people enjoy and people like it, but they also we have to be actually have to be able to execute it in the field as well. So there's some things that yeah that looks great right. and people love it, but we can't mass produce it, and yeah. so we can't we cannot include that in our house if, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So those are some yeah. of the decisions that need to be made, but I do think as costs go up, yeah, um, there will be some more opportunity there. Okay, okay, and and some of the technologies you mentioned, modular homes, 3D printing. Um, between those or others, are there, are there is there anything that, that you're worried more about than others or that you're preparing against? No, no, I mean, not, yeah, I just, I think it's still a long time coming. And, yeah. um, you know, I've I've talked to the people that are in those spaces and I've talked to people, even during the internet boom, was yeah. that was that the early 2000s? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were companies that were going to basically uh, write code and write a computer program that's gonna be able to build a house. Uh -huh. And they just would, you know, send the email to the framer, the framer would show up, they'd frame the house, uh -huh. and then they'd send them a check, or whatever. I mean, and the reality is, like, it's not it's not that simple. It's yeah. Not, it's not yeah. that easy. There's a lot of moving parts to the home building business. It's very, very complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not super concerned. I think if any of them are viable, the one to me that's viable is if you have a dense population center, yeah. and you're building a thousand houses, and, you know, a 10-mile radius or whatever that uh -huh. is, building a $10 million factory there uh -huh, uh -huh. and being able to mass produce those houses to me makes a lot of sense right, right. Um, but how do you do that in Caldwell Texas yeah right. how do you do that in Huntsville Texas right. how do you do that in Burnham Texas and Croc the one thing I didn't hit on earlier was that's one of the big things we've seen from COVID and, and that that is that, that's right. actually an innovation yeah. for us that's actually been, in your favor right it is the and remote that's, work and people spreading out it, it has work, been right. because and talk about innovation. I think that's one thing that we were very innovative in. Yeah, yeah. And so we already were in Caldwell. We already have been in Burnham. We've yeah. already been in Huntsville. These are smaller metros for y'all that don't know. I mean, yeah. I think Caldwell may have 7,000 people. Right. Nobody's built a new house there. I mean, more than a couple here and there, uh -huh, kind of uh -huh. custom homes uh -huh. in, you know, probably 40, 50 years. And right. so for us to go buy a 40-acre piece of property and develop 160 home sites there yeah. and start building... 
And to go do that in Huntsville, Texas, to go do that in Burnham, Texas, yeah. in smaller communities. Bryan College Station was that way for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And so we've done that very successfully for a long, long time. Right, right. And so we have not gone to the major metros. We've kind of been, you know, my, my father likes to joke, I'm sure you've heard of Brookshire Brothers, which they're here on campus, but right. they don't, they typically don't go to the large metros. They go uh-huh. to the smaller the smaller towns, and they're, uh-huh. they're the small town grocery store. Well, uh-huh. we kind of want to be the Brookshire Brothers of home yeah. building. We want to go to the smaller metros, and COVID has pushed more and more people there. Now, right. all of a sudden, they're saying, you know, number one, I don't want to be in these densely populated uh, areas. Yeah. I can do remote work, so my, my job may be in Houston, but my employer's okay with me living in Caldwell right. and commuting in, or Brian College Station and commuting in one day a week yeah. for a face-to-face meeting. Yeah. But I can do most of my stuff via Zoom or, right. you, know, uh, right. you know, via the Internet. Right, um, right. And so, you know, we've seen a huge migration of that, but quite honestly, it was good before COVID. I mean, we've uh-huh. been we've been building houses in Burnham and Caldwell and these small communities for a long, long time. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, we're gonna continue to do so. And right. I feel like that's one thing that we we were innovative in our business model. Okay. And one thing that my father taught me is he goes, Look, if everybody's going right, see if you can figure out how to go left yeah, and, figure, yeah. and figure that out. Like yeah. over to the right, it's a bloodbath. There's yeah. 10 builders over there in the exact same community, right. build them as quick as they can. Right, right. And when demand goes down, guess what they do? They slash prices. That's the only thing you have to compete on is your price point at that point right. in time. Right. But if you go over here yeah. and you find that little niche, whatever that may be, and you do it really, really well, well, guess what? You're going to control your destiny. And yeah. typically the margin is a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know, in, in general, I mean, the risk may be a little bit greater to go to Caldwell than to do another community in Bryan College Station. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, we were able to get that thing up and going. Caldwell was calling us, actively recruiting us to go down there. Yeah, yeah. The property was very affordable. And so, you know, it's it, it's interesting that there's these little niches out there that a lot of times the big boys won't go. But, you know, a smaller family-run company talked about the advantage of being small, yeah. smaller. We're yeah. able to identify those. And we, we understand the markets. We know, you know what, Caldwell is a heck of a school district. Yeah. We know people like that rural small feel. Hey, we know that Rellis is moving out there. It's right. only 10 minutes from Rellis. Right, right. So the town's growing that direction. You know, the city's calling us. The county commissioner's calling us. The mayor's calling us. They all want us there. We know we can get the deal done. The yeah. property's sitting there. Yeah. This makes a whole lot of sense than going and beating our head against the wall trying to get a deal done in Conroe, Texas, for yeah. example, where yeah. there's 15 other publicly traded companies that right. are that right. driving up land costs. And to me, that's where your risk is high. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Go go where there's less competition. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So not sure that answered any, yeah, any of your no, questions. Does. Oh, yeah. But yeah, 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 kind of yeah saw, absolutely. I think I kind of rounded back to one of yeah. your original questions there. Yeah. Now, now let me let me uh I've talked to some students. Uh we have a good relationship with our construction science department. Yeah. Uh a lot let's say you're talking to a student who wants to enter the home building industry or con- the construction industry. Yeah. What advice would you give them, say, uh, if they're deciding between residential versus commercial, and then on the residential side between like custom versus production? What, what tips or advice would you have for that student? Yeah, you know, I think it really depends upon um, your personality and your temperament. I mean, of course, commercial, you're dealing with a commercial client. Yeah. And so it's different. So, you know, we're going and building these um, larger rental projects. And we're yeah. going and looking at actually doing one that's 600 houses in one area. And we're dealing with a big multinational company. Yeah. That's more of a commercial relationship. The relationship is completely different. Right. The relationship management is completely different. So... If um, if you're kind of of the temperament that you like, kind of more the the business uh, type relationship, more of a commercial type relationship, yeah. then commercial construction is probably going to be you know a lot more 
up your alley. Yeah. Commercial construction, everything, a lot of the times, especially like on a, if you're doing a big, you know, high rise, the whole entire thing, there's not a lot of improvision. You're not meeting the customer there and saying, hey, what do you think, A or yeah, B, and yeah, you're yeah. trying to figure some stuff out. Um, and so, you know, if, if that's kind of, if, if you like everything planned out for you, give me a set of plans. I want yeah. all the decisions made. I'm very process oriented. And that that's big in home building as well. But if, if that's kind of how you're bent, to me, commercial or production is going to be your, um, you know, re really probably the correct career path for you. Yeah. If you are more artistic uh -huh. and you like the one-on-one -on -one relationship uh -huh. and you want to go meet with Mr. and Mrs. Smith and and decide exactly where that light fixture goes uh -huh. and sit back and kind of analyze it, which is great. That's a lot of fun. It really yeah. is. Um, then that's a really good career path for you. Okay. To me, and I know a lot of custom builders, and they, they, they do a really, really good job. They have very successful businesses. Yeah. But if you're really interested in scaling a business and creating a large business, right. it's difficult to do it in custom. a custom home building right. environment. It just is. You can make a really, really good living. Uh -huh. You can do a really, really good job. Um, and you can be very, very successful in the community. But if you want to build, um, you know, something that's going to be bigger than you and have a, a true accounting department with, you know, right. 10 AP clerks and right. you, know, you got an H and somebody actually is focused on HR and you want to grow a, 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 a company that's a couple hundred employees, to me, production home building, if you're interested in that space, that's kind of the direction you want to go. And for me, like, and probably another way to describe it is like, I like, and I tell people all the time, like, look at these hands. Like, I've not held a hammer in 15 years. Like, if, you, if I'm holding a hammer, you better you better run, buddy, because something something's wrong, something's broke, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not out on the job sites. I really don't. I mean, you know, we talked about it earlier. You asked me, you know, who built my house. I said that I did. I was general contractor, yeah. but it's because yeah. I know I have the relationships. But right. end of the day, um, you know, production home building is not a whole lot about there is some construction science but really what it is it's operations yeah yeah it's yeah. scheduling yeah. it's operations it's motivating people it's purchasing it's uh -huh. sales and it's marketing uh -huh. and that's what you're doing there yeah and yeah. so the the artsy side there is an artsy side but it's very very little because you're creating the same thing over and over right. and over and over to again. get those economies of scale yeah and you right. have to have the systems in order to do that yeah. and so you're focused on the systems right um, a custom builder is not focused on the systems. Yeah. They have a system, but they're realizing like, yeah, if I save 500 bucks here, yeah. I save 500 bucks here. If I save 500 bucks here, I save 500 bucks a thousand times over. Yeah, so that, yeah. 500, that $500 bill is a whole lot more important to me yeah. and our company than it would be to a, to a custom builder, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. so it's a completely different business model. And I think a lot of people... You know, when I tell them I'm in the building space, they automatically think that I'm on job side. I'm like, guys, right. like, that's really, that's not what I do. I'm looking right. five, 10 years right. ahead, looking at raw land type deals and doing development deals and that sort of thing. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, again, but commercial is going to be more of a commercial clientele. Yeah, yeah. More of a business relationship. Uh, more, hey, the contract says this. Right. And that's what we're going to do. Right. Um, residential construction is not that way. There's a lot of touchy. There's a lot of feel. You want people to feel good. A lot about the customer experience. Yeah. And you have to have a lot of systems and processes in order in order to do that. Um, and then again, I feel like that custom is more of an art form. Yeah. And production yeah. is more about operations. Okay. So okay. that answer the yeah, question. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me. I'm going to close with somewhat of a controversial question. So let's see how how this comes out. So. 
uh, it's a, it has to do with our society's need for housing yeah. and our taste for housing. And uh, I could say, based on your business model, you, you seem to be providing uh, a product at scale yeah. for affordable housing for a large population of people versus um, maybe, say, custom or some luxury housing, where, which also can, which can be very expensive. Yeah. And uh, people can put a lot of money, especially on the coastal, coastal oh, side yeah. of, oh, yeah. of this country. What's your, I guess, what's your, um, your view about consumer attitudes towards housing? Do you feel like as a society we're thinking of this in the right way? Uh, should we really be thinking of housing as, uh, as consumption, as something that, uh, like an art form, with, with the, we should be putting a lot of money into our house? Or should we have more of, a, more of a functional approach? Like, this is just where we live. Let's just try to live efficiently and move on to other things with our time. I, I love that you asked the home builder that question. I mean, I love that. I love that. No, yeah. you, know, you, you bring up a really good point there, Croc. I mean, the reality is if you have the money, yeah. to me, I spend a lot of time at home. Uh-huh. A lot of time at home. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's, I mean, most people do, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not a homebody. I mean, I get right. out and stuff. I'm not right. saying that. But what I'm saying is the majority of my time, if I had to map it all out, it's probably at work and it's at home. And then, and so I want to enjoy where I live. Yeah. I really want to enjoy where I live. Yeah. And so it's from a, from a very practical standpoint, yeah, we probably should focus more on utility yeah. and, yeah. you know, making sure we get the most bang for our buck. Right. And, you know, we build this highly dense, yeah, dense. Um, you know, near near the urban core, so everybody can walk, and we can cut down on consumption. But the reality, people don't want that. Yeah, I mean, some people do, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. yeah. And ten years ago, we had this new. You know, these downtowns are being revitalized. Yeah. Everybody wants to go to the urban core and yeah. live and walk and play and do yeah. all that. And it's great, and I love that. But the reality is, when people have kids, what do they do? They move to the suburbs every right, time. Right. They want a yard and they want good schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where are the good schools and where can you get a yard? You have to go to the suburbs. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, end of the day, if we could go build, um, you know, a high-rise community in downtown Bryan and, you know, have 400 condos there and sell them profitably, yeah. we would do it. Yeah, yeah, I'd build yeah. that tomorrow. I would yeah, love yeah. to do that. I think that'd be awesome. But yeah. the market's not there. Yeah, yeah. At least that I see. Right, the right, market's right. not there. Where the market is... It's in Caldwell, Texas, yeah, where yeah. you can buy a house for $220,000 and have a yard and be in a really good school district. Right. And so a lot of it, we're, we don't, we're not necessarily creating the market. We're kind of building towards the market. Right, right. But, um, you know, the reality is when you go and look at more affordable housing and what are we going to do, like when you start thinking about those type of issues, yeah. like what you're saying makes a ton of sense. It's yeah. probably what we do need to focus on more. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the housing we're building today yeah. versus what our parents grew up in, uh-huh. it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, our, I mean, my grandmother lived in a 2,500 square foot home and it was super, when she built it, super, super nice. Right. Now a 2,500 square foot home is just kind of, right. I mean, I think the average is 1800 or 2200. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. in 25, it was almost like a mansion back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you had, yeah. you didn't, typically you didn't have a garage. There's yeah, no yeah, garage, which yeah. garages are expensive. Yeah. Covered porch, what is that? Yeah, didn't have covered yeah. porches. Yeah. You had one bathroom. Well, you know, so a lot of what we've done, you know, we've, we've designed a really nice product as well, right. which has also contributed to the housing affordability issues. Right, right, right. Well, Doug, thank you very much for taking this time this to speak with us. This is this is super super interesting. I hope this has been uh, interesting for our audience. Lots of really uh, really juicy information here. I love the home building industry. It's uh, it's a passion of mine. So, uh, and thank you for your your service to our community. You, uh, Stylecraft has been here for a while, and, and I know you've done a lot for 
the the Bryan College Station area, and uh, and I hope we can continue that partnership over over generations. For sure, for sure. I'm not planning on going anywhere, Karak. And you know, Bryan College Station has been very very good to us over the years. So we feel like it's it's our duty and kind of our responsibility to to be involved and to give back. So it's our pleasure. Okay, great. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, thank you, Karak. Okay, great. Thank you.